Well, again, welcome to Worship at Calvary, wherever you are at, all of you here in the Worship Center, all of you over in our chapel, all of you at our Minnetonka campus this morning, and anyone tuning in somewhere else on earth. We're so glad that we can come together to worship and to dig into God's word. So we're in a winter sermon series, which is based on the book of Colossians, which is a letter that the apostle Paul wrote, and it's found in the New Testament. And I've given you uh, a little acronym that you can use uh, to find it. Just remember the words God's Electric Power Company, which stands for Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So go through the Gospels, and then you get Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, God's Electric Power Company. Or you could just download the app on your phone, and you like hit one button, and you're right there. But whatever you prefer, uh, we're going to be digging into this book uh, for a few more weeks. <clears throat> so the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to a church, which today is in the area of modern-day Turkey, and Paul had never visited this church before. He had just heard about it. And Paul is writing this letter from a prison cell where he is chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. But the amazing thing about Paul is even in this difficult time sitting in jail, he still has this heart for anyone who wants to follow Jesus. He's all about equipping and encouraging and, and guiding people in their walk with Jesus. So that's what he's doing for this church in Corinthians. Because the thing is, whether a church is old or new, or whether a believer is a longtime believer or a new believer, there is an easy way that we often get off track. It's easy to fall into misunderstanding. It's, it's easy to kind of go in the wrong direction. It's easy to listen to false teachers. Now, that was true for the, for the Colossian church, but it's also true for us today. So today we're in chapter 2 of Colossians. We're going to start with verse 8. And what we're going to see is Paul is going to take head on some of these problematic teachings and understandings that can easily impact us on our walk with Jesus. Now, in most every message that I preach... I try to make sure that we have an emphasis on application. Like, how do we apply what we're reading and what we're digging into? Now, usually, the application comes at the end of the message. You know, we'll look through some verses or some passages, and then, all right, now, what are some steps that we can take to put this into practice? What are some ways that we can go into the week and live this out? So again, usually it comes at the end, but today I want to give you the application right up front, right now. I want to make you aware of what the hope is when you hear God's truth today. And I think the application today can be summed up in just three words. And the three words of application are soak it in. All right, we're going to be hearing some incredible truths about who God is, about Jesus, and about his grace. And instead of thinking, okay, I need to have all these bullet points, and then I need to, you know, calculate something else. No, today, the application is to take all the goodness and soak it in. You see, essentially, this becomes the fuel that we use to follow Jesus. 
Right? When we understand his grace, his mercy, the incredible gift that we are given, it then compels us to go and follow him and glorify him with our lives. So there's a powerful word that Paul uses in numerous letters. And it's a word that has deep meaning, but it's a word when we read it, it's easy to just kind of read right on by, to not stop and really reflect on what Paul is trying to say, because this word is really his first shot at getting after the false teachings in the church. And it's a Greek word, and the word is pleroma. All right, so mark that down. You can use it on your friends. But this Greek word that Paul uses often simply means fullness, abundance, or the sum total. Right? He talks a lot about the pleroma of God. Now, the first place this shows up when he's writing to the Colossians is back in chapter 1, verse 19. And this is what he says about God. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Now, the thing in that verse is that the word all and the word fullness are interchangeable. It's kind of like a double whammy. What he's saying is, for God in the fullness of his fullness, like just one fullness is not enough. This is double fullness, was pleased to live in Jesus. The fullness of of the fullness of God was in Jesus. Now, what does that mean? It means every aspect of who God is, every part of his character, every part of his power and his presence is all summed up in Jesus himself. Now, this isn't just some nice choice of words or Paul's not trying to be extra poetic No, he's actually launching an attack on the false teachings and the false understandings that have seeped into the Colossian church. You see, to Paul, these false teachers, these false understandings had one thing in common, and that is that they were adding to Jesus. They were making Jesus lesser than God himself. They were making Jesus' actions lesser than what we truly need. Now, if you were with us a couple years ago, the same time of year in the winter, we studied the book of Galatians, another letter that Paul wrote. And the mega theme of Galatians is an equation. And we talked about it again and again, that the equation, the good news, is summed up in this way. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing else equals everything that we need. When we try to add to Jesus, whether it's legalism or it's regulations and rules or whether it's doctrine or whether it's works or specific traditions in the church, when we try to add that to who Jesus was, then we lose. We lose our freedom. We lose the good news. And we become slaves again to how well we perform 
or how well we follow some list of rules, or we, we become slaves to our own understanding and our own knowledge. And so this was a struggle for the Colossian church 2,000 years ago, but it's still a struggle for us today because we easily say something like, well, you know, I've heard about Jesus. I know the stories about him. I can articulate the gospel. And that's all well and good. But, you know, I'm going to also try these other things. You know, I'll take Jesus, but I will also take my favorite modern-day philosopher, I will take Jesus and maybe my favorite self-help book. I'll take Jesus and maybe these other religious practices that look kind of interesting. You know, just in case. I don't want to get left out. And in the end, when we add to Jesus, we end up losing. We compromise our faith and our trust in him alone because he is all we truly need. It's why one of the biggest themes of the Reformation was the idea of Christ alone. We're so tempted to try to add other things in, to depend on our own experience, our own abilities, our own merits. But again, Christ and Christ alone is enough. Now, for the Colossians, 2,000 years ago, there were two groups of false teachers that were especially impactful in their church. There was one group called the Gnostics, and the Gnostics believed that the fullness of God was everywhere. It had just been kind of divvied up and scattered throughout creation. And by accumulating little bits of this secret knowledge you yourself could get in on more and more of God's glory. All of these spiritual experiences and random philosophies could be collected together, and you could kind of climb the ladder on your own. And that meant Jesus was just another great philosopher or great teacher. He had some nice things to say, and you could collect some of his nuggets and combine it with other things And the idea was eventually you could find the secret to becoming God yourself. But then there was another group within the Colossian church, and it was the Jewish Christians who wanted to continue to hold on to the Old Testament law. Now, a big part of this was it meant that Gentile Christians who were converting to the faith had to also follow all of the Jewish laws and traditions. And that meant all of the men had to be circumcised. And so you can imagine it had a heavy price on the new member class, right? Not a lot of guys are going to want to join that church if there's like a little surgery truck out back and they're like, okay, before you sign the contract, we're going to go back there. But again... What are they doing? They're trying to add to Jesus. They're trying to add to the gospel. They're proclaiming the good news of what Jesus has done, but then you also need to do these old ceremonies and rituals and practices. Now, again, this was many, many years ago, but we fall into the same pattern so easily. We need to be so, so careful about adding to Jesus saying, you need Jesus, but also 
this practice or this understanding or this doctrine or this tradition that we just hold so dear. And we end up saying, well, but you can't do or say or think or wear that when you come to church. When we start adding legalism to the good news of what Jesus has done. So to all of these things, in verse 8, this is what Paul says. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world, rather from Christ. Again, watch out to all those people who are putting out the best-selling book on the meaning of life. Watch out for all of those modern philosophies which you're tempted to elevate to the level of Jesus. Don't start adding stuff. Don't start going backwards. And don't, whatever you do, give up your freedom. But why? Why is this so important? Well, look at what Paul says next. He says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. The fullness of the fullness of God is found in Jesus himself. In Christ is found the fullness of the fullness of God. And that is a life-changing and world-changing truth. And it matters so much because it's through him that we are made complete. It's through him that we receive all that we need. Jesus was both fully God and fully man. 100% God and 100% human being. And that's so important because it means he was uniquely able to accomplish what no one else can do. Because Jesus had the fullness of God, he can and he will deliver on all of his promises. Now, this is a core Christian belief, which has been around since the very beginning of the church. And yet, even today, it's still really hard to embrace. But there is so much at stake. If Jesus wasn't fully God, and if he wasn't fully man, then he wasn't really able to forgive our sins. He wasn't really able to die for us. He's, he wasn't really able to invite us into the new life that he does. Now, even in the past couple years, there's been a trend, even within the evangelical church, that less and less people are embracing this core doctrine. So a survey was done in 2020 and in 2022, and there were statements given, and people were simply asked, do you agree or disagree? So the statement is, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. And you'll see in 2020, 30% of committed Christians said that that statement was true. Two years later, 43% agree with that statement. It's getting close to half of committed Christians don't actually believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Now, this is tragic because, again, so much is at stake here, so much so that Paul goes on in the following verses to explain what's at stake, what 
Jesus provides for us because he has the fullness of the fullness of God within him. Paul is saying, don't forget what he's done for you. In him, you are complete. You don't need anything else in your relationship with God because your sinful nature has been cut away completely. You were buried with Christ. You were raised to new life. You were made alive in him. Your sins are forgiven. Not only that, he canceled your debt. You've run up a huge tab in your life, and yet he canceled every charge against you. And he disarmed the spiritual powers and authorities of this world. All of these things are ours because Jesus is the fullness of the fullness of God. You see, this is a picture of what fullness looks like. In Christ, you are completely complete. Nothing needs to be added. You too have the fullness of the fullness of God through Christ Jesus. And we simply receive that gift by faith because of what he accomplished. Jesus lived and he died and he rose again and he invites us into new life. And when you are in Christ, then you too have been You have died and you've been buried and you've been risen again through the promise of Jesus. In Jesus, you have the pleroma of God. You are spiritually complete. Now, this doesn't mean that magically your stresses and struggles and pains of life go away. It doesn't mean we suddenly just live in this state of feeling completeness. No, we still live in a broken and troubled world. But what it does mean when we encounter those feelings and those stresses and those troubles in our life that we have the fullness of God with us through it all. And so in verse 16, Paul wants to help us understand what this means for our everyday life. He wants to to take it from some just kind of vague theological or philosophical concept and help us make it practical. So look at verse 16. He says, so, or therefore, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holy days, or new moon ceremonies, or Sabbaths. Don't let anyone condemn you, or exclude you, or judge you, or look down on you, for not doing all these additional requirements to faith in Jesus. We might not be tempted by the same things that the Colossians were, but there are plenty of things that try to get us off track, plenty of things that we fall back into instead of remembering Christ alone. Now, Paul says, for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. All of these other things, they might be well and good, but they're just shadows of the goodness that we have in Jesus. You see, what he's saying is you can't add to the identity that you have in Jesus. You already have the pleroma of God 
the fullness of God within you. Paul's not against rituals and traditions and things being handed down. He's just saying, don't make these things a have to. Make these things a get to. A grateful response to the gift that you have been given. Don't get caught up in all the trappings when you have the actual gift in your hands already. You already have the pleroma of God. So don't let anyone condemn you or judge you or look down on you. Don't be tempted to go backwards and to forget the gift that you've already been given. Don't think you have to go back and prove yourself or earn it or merit it. No, God's grace and mercy is always a free gift. Paul is saying, wake up and understand the incredible value of what you've already been given. Now, have any of you ever watched the show Antiques Roadshow on PBS? It's one of my favorites. My kids tell me it's just another indication that I'm getting way too old. But I don't know, I just get drawn into it. And there's plenty of other shows that are similar where people bring objects to be appraised. And a lot of times it's like a painting or a vase or some other item that's been in some box and it's in their basement or it's been handed down in the family. And they, every once in a while, at least once per show, somebody unpackages their, their item and it looks like the appraiser is going to fall over. They're like, do you understand the value of what you have? Like, this is not just worth you know, a couple thousand dollars. This is like hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars. And this person has it in some like clunky cardboard box down in their basements. But you know, in much the same way, Jesus is a priceless gift that we've been given and yet we often forget his value. Jesus is priceless. You don't need anything more when you're in him. You don't lack anything. The fullness of the fullness of God lives in him, and you live in him. So you have that fullness as well, and it changes everything. Look at verse 20. Paul says, you have died with Christ and he has set you free. That's a big deal. We have been set free from our bondage to sin and guilt and shame. He says, from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Why do we fall back into other ways of thinking? Well, maybe it's because the gospel just sounds too good to be true. I mean, how can it actually be free? It's such a priceless gift. Maybe it's because we have a hard time giving up control of our lives and surrendering to him. But we so easily become convinced that we need something more or we need to do more or we have to go take all the weight onto our own shoulders. Back in chapter one, Paul talks about living a life that's worthy 
of the Lord. Now, it's really easy to misinterpret what Paul is talking about here. The word worthy in Greek is the word axios, and it means corresponding to, not deserving it. I think oftentimes we read this as like, how do you live a life that's deserving of what Jesus has done? But that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, how do you live a life that corresponds to the gift that you already have? You already have the priceless treasure of Jesus. So now how do you live in a way that corresponds to who you already are, who he says you are? Many of you have seen the great movie Saving Private Ryan. came out a few decades ago about World War II. During the Normandy invasion, three of four brothers from one family were killed, and the fourth brother was missing after the battle. So after having to telegram the family, a general decides they need to go on a mission to find the missing soldier. And as they go search for him, they're under attack. And when they find him, the captain in charge of the mission is mortally wounded. And before he dies, he turns to Private Ryan and he says, James, earn this. And then at the end of the movie, Private Ryan is standing at the grave of that captain. And he turns to his wife. He's an elderly man by now. And he asks his wife, was I a good man? Was I worthy? Did I earn this. But you know, unfortunately, this is how many people imagine Jesus. Jesus saying to us, go earn this. But you know, it's impossible. We can't ever repay what we have been given in his death and resurrection. We can't ever repay the gift of his grace. But yet so many people today live with tremendous guilt and shame and insecurity and weight. I can't tell you the amount of people I have visited in their last days on earth where they are still wondering about their status in the eyes of God. They go backwards, but you know, there was something in the past. I'm not sure that he could really love me right now. See, too many people today don't see Jesus' death and resurrection as a gift. Rather, they see it as a loan that has to be paid back. And that makes us guilt-ridden. It's a nerve-wracking way to live, and it's discouraging. And Paul is telling us today, don't fall back into this old way of thinking. Don't miss out on the complete freedom that Jesus offers. You already have all that is his. You have a new identity in him, and you have a new purpose in him. You know, what he actually says is so powerful. He says, you are complete. Because in Christ lives the pleroma of God, the fullness of the fullness of God, you also are complete. Now, this isn't about a feeling, because in this world, this broken world, again, we're going to have times where we feel 
insignificant or insecure. We feel like something's missing. Instead of a feeling, this is about identity. This is about who we really are and what our destiny is and that our identity is complete in Jesus. You see, the encouragement for every one of us is to live into our identity, that you have the fullness of all that God is and all he's about. You have the fullness of all of his promises through Jesus. Now, again, you're going to struggle in life. Every one of us will. Jesus was upfront and honest about that. But even when we struggle with sin, like we will, and we struggle with bad choices, and we all will, it's because of Jesus and what he's already accomplished that we are seen as righteous and holy in God's eyes because he's already taken care of it all. We are complete in and through him. But here's the thing, church. Just like any new position or title, it takes time to live into it. So whether you get a promotion at work or you get a new job, or maybe it's your first time becoming a husband or a wife or becoming a new parent, we just don't instantaneously figure it out, right? It's a a process of living into our identity. And the same thing goes for identity in Jesus. It's an ongoing process. So we seek to live into the truth and the reality that we are beloved children of God. And so God's invitation is simply rest in who he says we are. Rest in his loving arms and embrace the truth of what he has to say about us. I read a story once about a family who adopted a child who was coming out of an absolutely terrible family environment. And so they welcomed this young child into their family. He had his own room, and they painted it up and decorated it for him. He had a bunch of new toys and books. Everything he needed was there. But a few weeks after he had come into this new family, they found out that he was stashing bits of food all around his room. And they couldn't figure it out. They were trying to you know, determine what's going on here. And finally, they found out the story that when he was living with his birth parents, their normal practice is they would lock him in his room on Friday afternoon and they wouldn't let him out again until Monday morning. No food, no toys, nothing. And so what he would do to prepare is he would stash food all throughout the week so he'd have something to eat over the weekend. And so now he was just doing the exact same thing, just in case, to stay safe. Now, if this was your child, what would you say to him? Would you get angry? Would you punish him? Would you shame him? Of course not, right? His new parents just reassured him, you'll never have to do that again, because that's not how our family works. And they told them that again and again and again. See, church, Paul is inviting us today to live into our identity. It's an identity that's been purchased for us at a great price with Jesus's own blood. This new identity has been declared over you by the Holy Spirit. Don't be tempted to think there's something missing or left out, that you need to somehow go and earn it 
or you need to deserve it or you need to fix or manage it. You know, our tendency is to keep on hiding food away just in case. But remember, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God isn't waiting somewhere in the bushes ready to catch you and to shame you and to punish you. No, instead, he lovingly reminds you again and again, you don't have to do that anymore. That's not how it works in my family. And when we wonder if it's true, he just keeps on reassuring us of his amazing grace. God just keeps reminding us of his deep love for us. And so church, remember the application. Rest in that truth. Soak it in. Because you have the fullness of God in you through Jesus. And because of him, when God looks at you, he sees righteousness and holiness all because of what Jesus has already done. So again, your invitation today is to live into and relax in the identity that he's already spoken over you. Soak it in. Church, God is so good. You have the fullness of the fullness of God in Jesus, which means you are complete. Now let the good news of that fuel you and inspire you each and every day to follow after him. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, again, we thank and praise you for the goodness of your word, which has been handed down generation after generation. God, we thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to a specific church at a specific time, dealing with specific issues, but is still so needed and so helpful to our situations today. God, you know how easily we try to add to the goodness of what we have in Jesus. How easily we try to return to other things of this world to bring us the fulfillment that we need. But God, you also know how they always fall short. How we get distracted by our own thoughts and feelings and understandings and, and our own knowledge. When right in front of us, we have the priceless gift of Jesus. And so God, today, help us to soak in this amazing truth that we have the fullness of the fullness of all that you are through Jesus. And because of him, we are made complete. And even with all of our shortcomings, all of our sins, all of the pain in our life, because of Jesus, you have given us this new identity that we are your beloved children. And so God, help us to walk in that reality and help us to share your love in every relationship, every interaction, every word we speak, everything that we do. And so God, we thank and praise you for who you are. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And let's all say together, amen.